So in a recent survey of 100 doctors from around the world, 99 out of 100 concluded that everyone ever born will die. <laughs> we tried to reach the lone dissenter, but he couldn't be reached for comment due to his untimely death. <laughs> so if you remember at all last week as I was declaring the king, I declare to you from the word of God that Jesus is the king, that Jesus was the king. He was, on, he was the king on the day that he rode into town on a donkey. He was the king when he was born to the Virgin Mary. He was the king when God said, let there be light. I further declare that whether or not you respond in faith, in denial, or complacency, that Jesus would be the king on our following Monday, April 10th, 2017. I would declare to you that today, because he is risen, Jesus is still the king. I declare to you that Jesus is the king today, and he will be tomorrow, because he was the sinless one, and death could not hold him. He is risen. We'll try that again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. The truth of this is our only hope. The truth of that is our only hope. It is the reason that any of us might call ourselves Christian. It's the only reason why we might call ourselves Christian at all. Is that he is risen. The resurrection of Jesus is proof of the completeness of his atoning sacrifice for sin. That is, that the resurrection proves that the sinless one was able to absorb all of our sin. It's proof that he did indeed impute or deposit his righteousness to us who by grace through faith have believed in him who the Father sent. Our hope is not only in this life, but we will be resurrected like him. This will be the completion of our conversion. We say that we are converted Christians. The proof of our conversion will be that day when Jesus comes and we are resurrected. Amen? That will be the proof that indeed what God said in his word is true. That indeed what happened on the cross was sufficient for my sin. That it reconciled me to God. And I am in perfect standing in relationship with him. That will be the proof of our right standing. We will then be fit for heaven. As we sit now in this body that we have, this shell that we live in, this body wasn't fit for heaven. But Jesus makes us fit for heaven because of the resurrection. So perhaps that lone descender that I talked about was a faithful follower of Christ. Maybe he had confidence that when Christ comes, and he is coming soon, friends, he is coming soon. Maybe that lone descender had confidence that he would be raised in glory. So this morning, I want to read from 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 35, and we will go to the end of the chapter, verse 58. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, 
What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of, it, of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven and was, as was the man of dust, so also those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, this morning, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So, our text this morning, I want to give just a little bit of a, a background of where we're at, that this letter uh, written to the Corinthian church from Paul. Uh, questions had been raised about a number of things amongst the body. These questions of, of the essentials of the Christian faith, uh, as it were, these questionable things uh, tend to cause division. So when these questions are raised, and some believe one thing and some believe another, cause some divisions within the body. And an item of division within church was the matter of the resurrection. So what Paul does in this letter from the beginning, in, in chapter 15 at the beginning, he says in verse 1 through 4, Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, 
that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. See, Paul here reminds the Corinthian church that the resurrection was essential to the gospel that he preached to them. The gospel I received, he says, and the gospel that I gave to you and is primary and of utmost importance is that according to the word of God, Christ died for our sins. According to the word of God, he was buried and he was raised on the third day. So Paul here declares that without the resurrection, the gospel is not the gospel. Without the resurrection, the gospel has, there's no good news. Where's the good news? There's no good news in that. Then, secondly, he says, of equal uh, first importance, right, is, I'm going to tell you that, that, that the gospel is about the resurrection of Jesus, right? The gospel that I preach to you, that which I receive, that which I give to you, of first importance, I, I also need to, to tell you that there were eyewitness accounts. In verse uh, 5 through 8, he says, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Of first importance, I also delivered by many infallible proofs the eyewitness account of the resurrection from Peter, the apostles, then a crowd of 500. And least of all, I have given you the account of my unlikely, undeserved personal encounter with the risen Christ. Then, he goes on in this letter to proclaim that if Christ was not raised, then this is it. This is the best that it's ever going to be. This is as good as it's going to get. I don't know about you, but if this is as good as it's going to get, I want to go somewhere else. <laughs> if this is it, what's the point of getting up in the morning? If this is all that there is to me. In verse 15 through, um, or 17 through 19, he says here, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Earlier this week I was reading an article uh, written by uh, David Platt. And he says the challenge that we ought to challenge ourselves with as Christians and that we ought to challenge our non-Christian friends with this. Is is Christ risen? Was he risen? And if our non-Christian friends investigate that, as far as they can take it, history, the Bible, whatever they can find out, and they come back and they say that Christ is not risen, then they ought to feel sorry for me. They ought to feel sorry for us. But if if indeed we discover that Christ is indeed risen and they reject it, we have to feel sorry for them because they have no life and we have life because 
our God, our Jesus, is indeed alive. So if we put our faith and our hope in Christ and he has not been raised, here's another problem. Then Jesus was not sinless. And his sacrifice was insufficient. And all we have is what this life has to offer. We are still dead men and dead women under the wrath of God with no hope of redemption. Doomed to suppress the truth in our own unrighteousness. But here is good news. Here is good news. The good news is, in verse 20, he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. You see, he is risen. We, all having been born under the curse of Adam's sin, are doomed to death. But by God's grace, through faith in the Christ who indeed God did raise first, we belong to him. And at Christ's coming, we too will be raised to the glory of the Father. So all of that to say is to get us ready to realize that we cannot, in this suit, inherit the kingdom of God. That we must be fit for heaven. We must be fit for heaven. So it leads to the question in verse 35 that, that, that Paul poses, and it's actually sort of they're posing the question, but he's posing it back to them. The questions that they had, right? But some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So Paul is going to answer in this text by describing the natural example of a plant in verses 37-38, by the natural differences of each type of living creature in verse 39. In verses 40-41, Paul shows the distinction between the earthly bodies and the heavenly bodies, and then further describes the differing glories even among all the heavenly bodies. In verses 42 through 49, Paul describes the differences between that which by God, and by his divine ordained designation, has determined to be perishable, compared with that which is to be imperishable. He compares that which is natural to that which is spiritual. And then finally in verses 50 to 57, Paul describes the mysterious act of God in transforming those who belong to Christ in those who would be fit for heaven. So 35 through 38, we're going to look here at the natural examples and the necessity of the death of one life for another. 35 through 38, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. What we sow in this body is not what shall we shall become at Christ's return. Just like that which was planted in the ground 
is transformed into something grander than the seed that was planted. Paul describes the death of the one making a way for what is to become. Dylan, could you put the seed? I want to show you this as an example, a picture. This seed on the finger as it's planted in the ground becomes this one day. Becomes this. It seems that it's entirely different. Doesn't it? It's an entirely different thing. It's an entirely different thing. That's what Paul's describing here, is this idea that, 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 that what was sown, what was planted, is no more, and then what it shall be is grander. It's much grander. In Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, he says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We might walk in newness of life, a brand new life. Verses 38 through 41. But God has given it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. He says, so, Paul might say, did you know that this earthly body is meant for a glory that's fit for the glory of the earth. But the heavenly body, the heavenly body is fit for the glory of heaven. We must be changed. We must be changed. 42 through 49, we continue. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised in spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man became a life-giving being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth and out of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. See, so it is with the resurrection from the dead. Our bodies are currently fit for that which is earthly. We are sown in a body that is temporal, that is prone to destruction, that is sown in weakness, that is sown in sin. Psalm 51 1 through 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That which was sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. That which was sown in weakness will be raised in power. That which was natural and perishable will be raised to an imperishable, eternal, spiritual body. Now, I want us to get to the crux of the matter. The crux of the matter here is in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, 
flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. I want to read to you some texts from the Gospels, and then I'll show you how those are interconnected to what I'm trying to get at here. I'm trying to get at here is that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, that we must be changed. Matthew 16, 15 through 17. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In John 1, 11 through 13, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then a little later in that same chapter, in the, gospel, in the same book, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to them, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. See? I come to this conclusion of the greatness of God and His act and His acts for us. Our flesh will not reveal to us the nature of Christ. We are unable to confess Him as the Son of the living God unless the Spirit of God in heaven reveal Him to us. We cannot receive Him, believe Him, or claim to be His children unless we are born of a substance other than than the will of the flesh, other than the natural man. But born of the will of God, unless we be born again, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Back to our text in verse 51 through 55. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable. And the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Where is your sting? The mystery of the physical death bringing the body fit for heaven. Our resurrection further validates, our resurrection further validates that Christ indeed brought life to dead people. That blinded eyes were indeed open. That Christ's substitutionary atonement was sufficient for our salvation, sufficient for our justification, sufficient for our sanctification, and ultimately, when we are raised, sufficient for our glorification. That Christ really did impute or deposit his righteousness into our account. We will stand before our holy and righteous God blameless. He has made us fit for heaven. The resurrection is the consummation of the reality that we, who by God's grace alone, through faith alone, 
Christ alone can confidently walk in. And quite an accomplishment of Christ it is. 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sting of death Jesus took upon himself, becoming sin for us on the cross. The power of sin that was in the law, Jesus fulfilled by living a perfect, sinless life. Because he is risen, he was indeed sinless. He was indeed the power of God displayed. And the victory that he won, we now can claim. So I ask this question, how now shall we live? How now shall we live? Because things are tough. Bodies, obviously we're in this tent and the bodies decay and we get illnesses and all of those things, right? Paul tells the Corinthians in his next letter, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7-12, through he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we live, for we who live are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And Paul concludes this section of this text with this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see, that Christ has revealed himself to you, and in your heart today you can say, he is the son of the living God. You proclaim that truth that God is indeed the son of the living God. He has revealed that to you and to me, right? Then further, if we also say that Christ was indeed risen from the dead on the third day. And we know with we know that we know that we know that we know. You see, we are fit to be reconciled to God by our confession of faith. We are fit because of God's revealing that to us. We can say that we are indeed the sons and daughters of God. We are reconciled to Him. But if we know and we believe that God also raised him from the dead on the third day, and our faith and our trust and our hope is in that, we also can be confident that we too one day will be raised because we belong to him. So here it is, is what we look forward to, isn't it? We look forward to this, that one day I will be fit for heaven. This body that I'm in is fit for destruction. But because of Christ's atoning death on the cross, I am fit for right relationship with God. And because of his resurrection, I am fit for an eternal relationship 
with God the Father in the person of Christ. I am fit for heaven. So this life is not all it is. And for us, we are not to be pitied because he is risen. Pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that um, by your Spirit's power, we have done work in each of us this morning, that we will walk boldly in the confidence of our risen Jesus, that we also live each day knowing that as we are perishing and this body is wasting away, that you have a body for us fit for heaven, that we're, we are sowing in this life through, an, through a perishable body, that you, Lord, will change us and make us fit for heaven when you come. In Jesus' name, amen.